Good morning, and a warm welcome to the service this morning. Uh, looking out, there's quite a number of visitors with us this morning, so it's good to see you, and uh, you're especially welcome to uh, the service, and we pray uh, God's blessing on us, uh, those here visiting regular, and those who may be watching still online, uh, we pray that we'll know God's presence with us as we come together to, to worship him. And so let's uh, begin this time of worship. Let's, uh, let's unite our hearts in prayer. Let's pray. Our Heavenly Father, we, we thank you for this day and we thank you. We thank you as we've, as we've sang, uh, we thank you in prayer for your grace. Uh, we come before you this morning as those who, who know that we are sinners. Uh, we know that in our hearts as we, as we look inside ourselves and we know that uh, from our actions and our reactions from our words uh, from our thoughts uh, we are those who are sinful we are those who wander from you we are those who who are lost like sheep without a shepherd and yet we thank you that uh, your grace leads the sinner home we thank you that the lord jesus is the one who came uh, for the lost sheep he is the good shepherd the one who calls us to follow him. He is the one who laid down his life so that we could have our sins forgiven, so that we could be redeemed, bought back from the sin that has taken hold of us and from the enemy who would seek to hold us. We thank you that through the blood of Christ we, we are redeemed, we are bought back from that bondage and given freedom in Jesus and we thank you for the life that is abundant that we find through walking with him we thank you for the the life that is everlasting that we've sung of the wonder of life eternal in Jesus we thank you that he is the one who who took our sin upon himself he is the one who overcame sin and Satan and death and hell so that we could have uh, that salvation so that we could be restored to the way that we were designed to be uh, that being walking close with God so we ask Lord that these truths that we sang of would be realities in the lives of all of us as we as we bow here and as some uh, perhaps listen at a distance and home we pray Lord that uh, by the power of the Holy Spirit you may be working in us so that we know that we are redeemed uh, we are restored because we have responded to the call of Jesus to repent, to believe, to follow him. And for any today who may not have yet done that, we pray that even in these moments, even in this service, we may bow before you and ask you to be our Savior and our Lord so that we can have the assurance uh, of that life everlasting. And we Praise you, Lord, for that in a world where we see uh, the reality of death and even in our own community in these past days. Uh, our hearts are heavy. We see those who uh, are uh, grieving, uh, who mourn. And Lord, as we think of them, uh, we pray that you would grant your comfort to families whose hearts are, are sore. Lord, we ask that you would draw near to them and that they would sense your presence, your hand upon them, as the God of all comfort and the Father of all compassion. 
We pray for those who may be anxious, Lord. Uh, we watch our TVs, we read the newspapers. Uh, we continue to see a country that is turbulent, unstable. Uh, we are worried about so many things. And yet we thank you that we can come to the God who is sovereign. And we ask, Lord, that uh, you would give us faith to trust you with every detail of our lives. Uh, may we not be uh, blown from this way to that way, but we ask that we would fret not, we would trust you. And as a country, Lord, we pray uh, that we would return to the book that we have uh, firmly closed and removed from so many public places. Uh, give us, Lord, again that desire, that soul thirst for, for Jesus. We see a, a restlessness and a, a hopelessness that, that mars the nation. We pray that the scales would fall from uh, our eyes and that we would see Jesus. So hear our prayers. Uh, help us, Lord, uh, we pray to, to draw near to you. You've promised that if we draw near to you, you will draw near to us. So take away from our minds every distraction Cleanse from our hearts every sin and enable us to know uh, that you are God and that you are with us. And we pray these things in Jesus' name and for his sake. Amen. Amen. Let's pray just now. Lord God, we thank you uh, that you love us. We thank you, Lord Jesus, that we know how much you loved us because you kept on going all the way to the cross to save us from our sin. And we pray, Lord, that uh, all the boys and girls, the young ones and the older ones, we pray that we'd all be following uh, the Lord Jesus. We know that in this world uh, there are lots of voices that say to go the other way, but we pray that we would be following Jesus. And we pray that uh, when things are difficult sometimes, as they can be, help us to, to keep on keeping on, uh, knowing that uh, when we finish the race, when we go from this world, uh, there is a prize in heaven. So hear our prayers. Take away our sin, we ask. Help us to fix our eyes on Jesus, for we pray these things in his name and for his sake. Amen. And we can turn in our Bibles to Luke chapter 14, please. And we'll read from verse 1. One Sabbath, when Jesus went to eat in the house of a prominent Pharisee, he was being carefully watched there in front of him was a man suffering from dropsy. Jesus asked the Pharisees and experts in the law, is it lawful to heal on the Sabbath or not? But they remained silent, so taking hold of the man, he healed him and sent him away. Then he asked him, if one of you has a son or an ox that falls into a well on the Sabbath day, will you not immediately pull him out? And they had nothing to say. When he noticed how the guests picked the places of honour, at the table, he told them this parable. When someone invites you to a wedding feast, do not take the place of honor, for a person more distinguished than you may have been invited. If so, the host who invited both of you will come to you and say, uh, give this man your seat, then humiliated, you will have to take, your, take the least important place. But when you're invited, take the lowest place, so that when your host comes, he will say to you, friend, move up to a better place. Then you will be honoured in the presence of all your fellow guests. For everyone who exalts himself will be humbled, and he who humbles himself will be exalted. 
Then Jesus said to his host, when you give a luncheon or dinner, do not invite your friends, your brothers, your relatives, or your rich neighbors. If you do, they may invite you back so that you will be repaid. But when you give a banquet, invite the poor, the crippled, the lame, and the blind, and you'll be blessed. Although they cannot repay you, you will be repaid at the resurrection of the righteous. When one of those at the table with him heard this, he said to Jesus, Blessed is the man who will eat at the feast in the kingdom of God. Jesus replied, A certain man was preparing a great banquet and invited many guests. At the time of the banquet, he sent his servants to tell those who had been invited, Come, for everything is now ready. But they all alike began to make excuses. The first said, I have just bought a field and I must go and see it. Please excuse me. Another said, I have just bought five yoke of oxen, and I'm on my way to try them out. Please excuse me. Still another said, I have just got married, so I can't come. The servant came back and reported this to his master. Then the owner of the house became angry and ordered his servant, go out quickly into the streets and alleys of the town and bring in the poor, the crippled, the blind, and the lame. Sir, the servant said, what you ordered has been done, but there is still room. Then the master told the servant, Go out to the roads and country lanes and make them come in, so that my house will be full. I tell you, not one of those men who were invited will get a taste of my banquet. Amen. And may God bless that reading of his word to us. Really, just as we approach the word of God, we acknowledge uh, the power within it and we pray uh, for God's help in speaking and listening. Well, just as we head back to the passage that we read, let's, let's pray for a moment. Heavenly Father, we, we thank you again that we're able to open your word. We thank you that we're able to sing it. Uh, we thank you for the power within your word, that it's perfect, uh, that it uh, converts us as we look uh, to you in faith. And so we do pray, as the psalmist prayed, that the words uh, from my mouth and the thoughts uh, from our hearts would be acceptable to you, uh, Lord, that you would be moving within us as we meditate upon these words. Bless uh, all those who are gathered, Lord, here just now. Uh, we thank you that you know us. We thank you that you love us. We thank you that you want to speak to us. So give us ears to hear, we pray, uh, eyes that we may see the beauty of Jesus, and uh, eyes also that would enable us to see our, our heart's need of him. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. There's a lot of things that happen uh, over dinner. Uh, meals uh, are places where uh, we, we get more than just food. Uh, deals are done in business over dinner. Uh, relationships are formed and uh, deepened over, over dinner. Uh, many proposals uh, to marry uh, they, they come uh, over, over dinner. Families come together, or we, we try to, over dinner. Uh, experiences can be shared at the, the dinner table. Uh, and lessons are learned uh, at the dinner table. And in the passage that we, we read, uh, Jesus is teaching. He's in the mode of, of teaching. And there's five lessons, hopefully, in the time uh, that we have and uh, each lesson we see comes from the, the dinner table. So the first point, the first lesson 
uh, is a lesson about it's a lesson about being hated and, and how to respond to it. Sometimes we can experience opposition. Sometimes uh, we can experience uh, somebody who's against us. And we ask the question, how do we respond to that? How do we deal with that in life? And so we see uh, Jesus in this situation, and that's certainly his experience. Uh, verse 1, 1 Sabbath, when Jesus went to eat in the house of a prominent Pharisee, he was being carefully watched. Now, if we track back a few chapters, in fact, we hardly have to track back any distance at all. Uh, all the way through this gospel, we see Jesus and his encounters with the Pharisees, and, and we see them constantly trying to trip Jesus up. Uh, they want rid of him. Jesus is a huge irritant to the Pharisees. Uh, he is disrupting their uh, ideas about their religion, and so they want rid of him. And we know that there have been a few sympathetic Pharisees that Jesus has met along the way. There's a few who would come to faith in Christ, and we'd see them uh, at the cross as they take Jesus' body down from the cross. But the, the vast majority of Pharisees, uh, they hated Jesus with a passion. And uh, Jesus knew that. So how does he deal with them? Does he hate them back? Uh, no, he doesn't. Clearly he loves them. Uh, does he avoid them? Because he knows that on every corner they're trying to trip him up and take him down. No, he doesn't avoid them either. It seems that he goes out to dinner with them. And in that culture, dinner wasn't a kind of microwave meal or a bacon roll um, and a cup of coffee for 20 minutes as we, as we grab a quick bite over lunch. Um, meals were much more intimate. Uh, they were much more leisurely. They took hours. And so we see Jesus here uh, spending a significant amount of time with those who are very much against him, with those who hate him. And he sets an example for us in that. Uh, if we're Christians, if we're following Jesus, um, it's inevitable that there will be occasions where we face opposition. There will be occasions where people do not like us. They may even hate us because of Jesus' name. And I'm saying that because Jesus said it. He said in John 15, verse 18 and 19, If the world hates you, keep in mind that it hated me first. If you belong to the world, it would love you as its own. As it is, you do not belong to the world, but I have chosen you out of the world. That's why the world hates you. And sometimes we experience it. Not so much here, not so much in this country, but sometimes we experience it. Sometimes we face opposition. Sometimes we find that people uh, are unkind to us or they may keep us, a, keep us at a distance or they may freeze us out of a conversation because they recognize that we're Christians. So what do we do? Well, very often I think what we do is we withdraw. Uh, we cut ourselves off from people who make us feel uncomfortable. But Jesus teaches us not to do that. I mean, think about Joseph of Arimathea and uh, Nicodemus, these two notable Pharisees who, who come to faith in Christ eventually. How do you think they came to faith in Jesus? Well, I think it was through watching him and listening to him because he allowed them to get close enough to him. And as they watched him and as they listened to him and as they spent time with him, as they felt something of the compassion he had for them, they were drawn. J.C. Ryle says, uh, he 
that desires to serve Christ must make up his mind to be watched and observed, no less than his master. He must never forget that the eyes of the world are upon him. You know, we often talk about this in a wee uh, island community. We say it's like a goldfish bowl. You know, you can't move. Everybody knows what you're doing. You know, that's actually not a bad thing as a Christian. Uh, the world watches those who call themselves Christians, and our calling is to let them, to be in the world, but not of the world. You know, if we're to be like Jesus, we're to be out and about amongst people, not hiding in a building all the time. Uh, we're to be having dinner with them. We're to be out at the shop. We're to be on the football pitch. And if our relationship with Jesus is right, then people will see something of Jesus in us as we take time with them. Sometimes uh, we think that uh, evangelism is, is tent missions and Christianity explored meetings and special outreach conventions. And God can use all these things and he has used all these things but the most effective evangelism happens when ordinary Christians like us get alongside people, sometimes people who hate us, and we try to send, spend time with them uh, to show them something of Jesus. So when we're hated, how do we respond? We don't hate back. We don't withdraw. Jesus teaches us to do things like have dinner with people. <coughs> Second point. Second lesson is a lesson about hypocrisy. One Sabbath when Jesus went to eat in the house of a prominent Pharisee, verse 1, he was being carefully watched and there in front of him was a man suffering from dropsy. Dropsy was a, um, a medical condition that kind of attacked the, 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 the main organs, uh, kidneys, the heart, uh, the liver would go into failure uh, in this uh, illness of dropsy, the body would fill up with, with fluid. So there's a man uh, with dropsy here in the company. But just look for a second at the facts here uh, as Luke lays them out before us. It's a Sabbath day. And we know that on the Sabbath day, Jesus would be in danger of breaking a million and one of their Pharisaic rules. So it's no coincidence that he's, he's called round for dinner on the Sabbath day. And the second thing is, he's in the house of a prominent Pharisee, so there's some religious muscle there. Uh, and if Jesus steps out of line on the Sabbath day, if he breaks some rules, if he uh, is, is open to charges, there, there's some serious men there who can take him down. And it just so happens that there's this man with this condition of dropsy suffering right uh, in, in, in the eye line of Jesus. And what does Jesus do when he sees people uh, who are suffering? Well, he heals them. We see it all the way through the Gospels. And if he heals this man on the Sabbath day, he's broken one of the religious rules and they have him. So what is this? It's a trap. It's very obvious. It's not very subtle. It's a trap. It doesn't take a, a genius to work out that they're trying to take Jesus down. But Jesus has the measure of them. And so he goes on the front foot. He challenges them. And Jesus asked, this is verse 3, he asked the Pharisees and experts in the law, is it lawful to heal on the Sabbath or not? But they remain silent because already they know that Jesus is one step ahead of them. So taking hold of the man, verse 4, Jesus healed him and sent him away. Then he asked them, 
If one of you has a son or an ox that falls into a well on the Sabbath day, will you not immediately pull him out? And of course they would. And so they have nothing to say. And they have nothing to say because Jesus has just shown them their hearts. He's shown them uh, how hard their hearts are because they have no compassion for this man. He's shown them how hypocritical they are because uh, when they act on the Sabbath, they expect uh, no comeback. But when Jesus acts with compassion on the Sabbath, uh, they want to take him down. So Jesus shines a light in and he shows them the hypocrisy of their hearts. And often this is what Jesus does with us. Uh, he, he shows us our hearts. Uh, it may not be a, a scenario like we're reading in Luke 14, um, but we all know that there are certain times, there are certain situations, uh, and what we expect from someone else, we don't apply to ourselves. We know that sometimes uh, we can be sent in a place, our hearts are hard. Sometimes we see someone who's struggling and suffering, there's no compassion. And Jesus here, he... He shines the light of his world into our hearts and uh, he shows us that we are in many ways hypocrites. He leaves us speechless often. Why? Not to be cruel to us, but to show us our sin so that when we see our sin, we'll look for the Savior. And that's what the Pharisees should have done. The silence uh, that heavily filled this room should have been broken with a confession of sin the pharisees should have said yes jesus you're right our motivation is all wrong this is a setup this is a trap our hearts are rotten we're sorry we repent we want to follow you and they would have been saved but they didn't do that i remember hearing a story about um a minister who who was an apple cross um when i first went over to that place and uh his name was Kenny Ban. Many of you have heard of him. And uh, he, he told his testimony one, one day. And uh, he spoke about being in a place where there were many, many people who were being saved. It was a revival environment. And lots and lots of people were being awakened to their sin and coming uh, in faith to Jesus. And he was seeing some of his pals uh, going forward and being saved. But he was saying in his own heart, it's not for me. These weak people, they can be saved. For me, no chance. And he talks about, um, he talked about uh, one uh, evening uh, going into a church building. Can't remember where he was, uh, but uh, he went into a church building with a heart filled with contempt for Christ. Uh, he went into a church building uh, with absolute uh, cynicism uh, and hardness against the message of the gospel. He had a half bottle in his inside pocket. He was sipping away beforehand. He intended to sip away all the way through the service. He intended to heckle the minister and cause a disturbance. And very early on in the service, God met him in power. And in a moment, God showed him his heart. And instantly, he was sobered up. And he repented. And on that night, he was saved. You know, lessons about hypocrisy uh, are painful lessons. Uh, when Jesus shows us our hearts, it's not pleasant. Not for me anyway. But it's necessary. Because it's only as we see our sin that we come to the Savior. And it's only uh, as we see our sin again and again that we keep on coming to the Savior. 
It's a lesson about hypocrisy. The third point here, the third lesson is a lesson about humility. And it's good for us, I think, to, to try to almost visualize ourselves in that room. It's a dinner party. And Jesus is there. You, you know, sometimes you've been in a dinner party. Sometimes you've had folks around for dinner. Uh, and, and, and there's one slightly awkward character who, who keeps on uh, saying uh, things that are just not appropriate. And the awkwardness that there is in the room. And if you're the host, you feel every bit of it. And we can imagine that uh, there is this awkward silence now in the room. Because Jesus has asked the question about the, the ox and the sun, and they've all been silenced. <coughs> and we can assume here they didn't like uh, the fact that they were silenced. But now the silence is about to be broken uh, with a story that's going to make them all feel even more awkward. Especially those who'd scrambled to get the best seats. Jesus has been watching them as they proudly tried to get the best position. So in verse 7 it says, When Jesus noticed how his guests picked the places of honour at the table, he told them this parable. When someone invites you to a wedding feast, do not take the place of honour, for a person more distinguished than you may have been invited. If so, the host who invited both of you will come to you and say, Give this man your seat, then humiliated you'll have to take the least important place. But when you're invited, take the lowest place so that when your host comes, he'll say to you, friend, move up to a better place. Then you'll be honoured in the presence of all your fellow guests. For everyone who exalts himself will be humbled, and he who humbles himself will be exalted. And we could dig into this parable. I don't have the time to, to do that. But the main message, the single point that Jesus is driving at through this parable is it's an attack on pride. He's watched their movements and even their movements betray the fact that they are so full of pride. And the thing that kept the Pharisees out of heaven was pride. The thing that caused the, the Pharisees to clash uh, so violently with Jesus over and over again was pride. You know, Pharisees were the guys who were wearing the suits. They were the guys in shirts and ties. They were the religious people. They were the respectable people. They were the ones that everybody thought was holy. On the outside, that's how it looked. But Jesus looks in and he can see that their big problem was pride. And so as Jesus sees them jostle for position and quarrel over the top seats, he says to them, don't be like that. Repent of your pride. You know, it was pride that blinded them to their need of Jesus. It was pride uh, that caused them not to come to Christ for salvation. And it was pride that would keep them out of the wedding feast of heaven. And so Jesus called them and Jesus calls us to repent of our pride, uh, to be humble, to recognize our lowness, our poorness before God. J.C. Ryle says the root of humility, if we're trying to figure out how do I get to this position, it's about knowledge. It's about knowing God. It's about knowing us. Ryle says, the root of humility is right knowledge. The man who really knows himself and his own heart, who knows God and his infinite majesty and holiness, who knows Christ and the price at which he was redeemed, that man will never be a proud man. He will count himself like Jacob, unworthy of the least of all God's mercies. He will save himself like Job, I am vile. He will cry like Paul, I am the chief of sinners. So Jesus, in that little parable he, he he gives him a lesson about humility 
And the fourth lesson here is a lesson about hospitality. And again, try to imagine the scene. You know, imagine the, the uneasy silence that has just thickened in the room. Uh, the guests, especially those in the best seats, we can just see them squirming, wishing they were now in the lower seats. The guys in the lower seats are probably smirking at the ones in the top seats. The host is thinking, this is a total disaster. I wish I'd never asked Jesus around in the first place. And now Jesus locks eyes with the host and says, I've got a story for you as well. Verse 12, then Jesus said to uh, his host, when you give a luncheon or dinner, do not invite your friends, your brothers or relatives or your rich neighbors. If you do, they may invite you back so you'll be repaid. But when you give a banquet, invite the poor, the crippled, the lame, the blind, and you'll be blessed. Although they cannot repay you, you will be repaid at the resurrection of the righteous. So what's Jesus teaching us here? Well, I think he's teaching us uh, uh, what uh, hospitality is. Uh, he's giving us a lesson, a description, a picture of hospitality. And hospitality isn't uh, inviting your, your friends and your family around to the house for a nice cosy meal. That's friendship. It's fellowship. That's not hospitality. And that's not a wrong thing. It's a good thing uh, to have friends. It's a good thing to be encouraged through fellowship. But Jesus is teaching us, uh, Christians, you need to go further than that. You need to practice hospitality, which means reaching out to those that you might struggle with. You know, hospitality is reaching out to those uh, who might not have shown kindness to you in the past and may not be showing kindness to you in the present. Hospitality is about reaching out to people uh, who have never asked you to come to their house and likely never will. But you want to spend time with them because they need to meet Jesus. Can I ask the, the, the question, uh, when did you and when did I uh, last ask someone round uh, for a coffee uh, or invite somebody around for a meal or spend time with somebody very intentionally because you want to introduce them to Jesus. Because you, you want them to know something of the love and the kindness and the grace of Jesus. You know, when did we last reach out to somebody? Because that was, that was the driving force behind it. We want to have an opportunity to share with them uh, something of Christ. Because that's hospitality. And the final lesson here is a lesson about heaven and hell. And uh, I suppose, again, as we look at the dinner party, uh, things have just gone from, from bad to worse. Everybody is now unhappy. The guests are unhappy. Uh, the host is unhappy. Uh, every time the silence is broken, it's broken by something that just seems to, to make things worse and more tense. And I think in verse 15, we have, we have the kind of well-intentioned um, interruption of somebody who's just trying to break the ice, you know, make a comment to, to lighten things a little. Uh, so uh, when one at the table, verse 15, uh, with him heard this, he said to Jesus, blessed is the man who will eat at the feast in the kingdom of heaven. So what's this guy saying? Well, I think what he's saying is, uh, let's talk about heaven now. It's going to be great to be in heaven, isn't it? What a great feast we're going to have in heaven, aren't we? And uh, Jesus says, well, I've got a story about that too. Brace yourselves. 
See, many of the Jews thought they were going to heaven just because they were Jews. They thought all Jews, by, by virtue of their background, had a place in heaven. And the Pharisees were absolutely double sure that they were going to heaven because they were so religious and they did so many good works. They were certain that they had a place there. And so Jesus, in the closing section, says, uh, uh, let me just tell you a, a surprising story about those who are going to be in heaven and those who are not. And so he, he tells a story at verse 16. A, a certain man was preparing a great banquet and invited many guests. And um, just a little bit of context for back in that day. Uh, the way things worked back in that day is uh, the, the host of the banquet would send out two invitations. Invitation one uh, would go to uh, all the people saying, I'm putting on a banquet, would you like to come? And then they would respond and say, yes, I'd like to come or no, thank you. And if they responded uh, positively, uh, when the banquet was then ready and the date was set uh, and the hour was set, they'd get a second invitation to say, uh, you said you were coming, everything's ready, it's time to come. And so in verse 17, it says, at the time of the banquet, he sent his servant to tell those who'd been invited, come, for everything's now ready. But they all alike began to make excuses. The first said, I've just bought a field. I must go and see it. Please excuse me. Another said, I've bought five yoke of oxen. I'm on my way to try them out. Please excuse me. Another said, I just got married. I can't come. So what's happening here? Well, Jesus tells us in the parable, excuses. You don't buy a field without first looking at it. It's an excuse. You don't go and buy uh, oxen without first trying them out to make sure they work well together. That would be like us going and buying a, a second-hand car without ever sitting in the driver's seat and taking it for a spin. You don't do it. And being married, uh, it's not a reason to, to refuse a, a dinner invitation. He could take his wife. It's just excuses. These guests don't want to come because they don't love or respect the host. They don't want the company of the host. They don't see their need of anything that this host has to offer. And uh, that was a picture of, of the Jews. I mean, it's, a, it's got application for us. We'll get there in a second. But Jesus is speaking to, to Jews. And all the way through the, the Old Testament, uh, the Jews were being told, they were, the gospel invitation was being extended. That they were being told, uh, salvation is there. It's offered to you. You, you can have it. It's coming. And then when Jesus, the Savior, came, they didn't want him. They didn't love him. They didn't see their need of him. They, they refused him. And it's a picture of, of many still today. In a sense, God, he, he holds a mirror up to us uh, as a congregation even today. And he says, can you see yourself here? Because there are still uh, many people today who will give you a hundred reasons why they cannot come to Jesus. I don't know enough, they say. You know, I, I don't feel intensely enough about heaven and hell and salvation, they say. I'm not good enough, they say. I can't come. It's just excuses. Perhaps they just don't want Jesus. Perhaps what we're being told here is that such people uh, see no need of Jesus. And so the host in verses 21 to uh, 24, my time is gone. Um, says to the, the servants, uh, go out, go, go far away, go out you go into the streets of the city 
Find the people who know their need spiritually. Compel them to come in. And not just the city. Go out into the country lanes. Go, go far away. Find these people uh, who know their needs and make them come in. Everything's ready. The feast is, is there. The table is laid. Uh, bring them in. So can I ask as we finish, uh, have, you, have you come in yet? You know, the host is still calling. Everything that, that uh, was necessary for us to be, to be saved has been made ready in Christ who lived and died and rose for us. Every one of us needs him because every one of us has sin in our hearts that needs to be saved. If we are ever going to get near this banquet, none of us will be forgiven without coming to Jesus. None of us will taste anything of the banquet of heaven except through him. So come to him. There's still room. There's still time. The host is still calling. So come. And I may the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God the Father and the fellowship of God the Holy Spirit be with us all now and forevermore. Amen. Amen.